Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Two Bye Guys. I've got another great interview today. Someone I've been waiting to interview for a long time on this podcast. He was sort of there from the inception, from the beginning, in a way. Uh, my guest today is a bisexual influencer and entrepreneur whose career has spanned multiple industries, including sex and cannabis, two of my favorite things, and also a great combination. He's been a marketing director. He founded Fashion Indie as well as Socialite, a talent management company for influencers. And he is the founder and chief conspirator of the New Society for Wellness, or NSFW, a sex positive play party and club in New York City with a focus on bisexuality and sexual fluidity. And he appeared in the same episode of Slut Ever on Bisexual Men that Alex and I were in that inspired this podcast. That's how I heard about NSFW. I've been wanting to have him on ever since. It's finally happening. Please welcome <laughs> Daniel Saint to Two Bye Guys. Thank Hello. you. That was a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much for having me on, Robert. You're welcome. I I uh, remember seeing that episode. Like I didn't know who else was going to be in it when we filmed it. And then just thinking, I identified with what you said so much, even though we each only got like a minute or two. And I yeah. and I really liked the clips from NSFW, and that's why I started coming. Yeah, that was like almost five years ago now. It's been like insane, the journey of like building this up and doing all this stuff. But yeah, it was like yeah. super early in our inception. Yeah, I know. It, I, the, the clips from that definitely look different from what I've seen lately when I've been there. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe that was so long ago. It's crazy. Yeah. Look how far we've both come. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Okay. So I really want to talk a lot about NSFW, but we always start with you and your journey. And I know yours is quite interesting and uh, complicated. So first, just tell us what pronouns do you use and how do you identify? And then we'll kind of get into how you got there. Uh, pronouns down for all of them for the most part. <laughs> I think it depends on like the time of day for me sometimes. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right now I feel this. Um, they, them mostly. Um, oh, yeah, cool. how I got here, uh, was really, uh, about kind of wanted to create a space that felt comfortable for me. Um, I had gone to like a lot of, you know, sex positive spaces and gone to a lot of gay spaces and straight spaces. I just felt there was something in between that was missing, something that could be a little bit more focused on exploration and, you know, asking questions and learning more about sex. Um, so yeah, creating SFW as kind of a way to bridge that gap. Uh, but also as a way for like women to have a space that they have as much sexual freedom as like gay men already have on a regular, like gay men mm -hmm. have amazing amounts of sexual freedom when it comes to their events and their parties and things like that. And so, yeah, a big part of it was just creating a space where, you know, women could feel comfortable. I could feel comfortable uh, with whatever partner I was with and it didn't feel uh, like it had to be one or the other. So I'm, I'm curious about like the parties and stuff that you went to before you created NSFW and like how you got involved in that and what it was like. And I guess also with your bi identity, when did you realize you were bi? Did that happen first or did it come through this kind of sexual exploration? Well, I think I always knew I was bisexual from a very early age. I would say like 13, 14, I kind of felt hmm. that attraction to both. And I just always knew that it seems silly to have to choose a side necessarily. Um, I grew up super religious. So any conversations around sex was just not allowed. Any even thoughts about sex was not allowed. And you're constantly confessing all these feelings and stuff. And I remember being comfortable enough to like share my feelings, but it being treated as something that was so wrong and so bad and so like preventing me from being close to God. And I think through that, you know, realization growing up and going through puberty and, and getting to an age where I was dating, it just felt like that was just wrong and didn't make sense for me. Um, and so, yeah, I started kind of traveling the world and going to different places, doing all the work I was doing in fashion and going to international cities and, you know, really seeing what was out there in terms of sex and places that people were going and trying to get into clubs and spots and going to the gay bars in different major cities and being here in New York and going to spots. And over 10 years, I probably went to, you know, maybe about 200 events of like different types of sex related parties and kind of just felt like there was something missing in the space and that there needed to be something that uh, was community focused, was uh, allowing people to explore, didn't feel shame-based. Um, you know, women didn't feel like property, which is how it is in a lot of spaces, especially swinger events and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to create something new. So yeah, eventually created something, but 
the background of it was very much, um, I don't know, just feeling ashamed of my, my sexuality for a long time. I didn't actually publicly come out as bi until I was like 31, 32. Um, Same. And at that point, yeah, at that point it was like I was in the fashion industry. You're around so many gay men and, and so many people who are you know trans and, and different identities. And just feeling like even within that industry that is so open and so you know diverse, um, bisexuality just didn't exist. There was no bisexual men. I didn't know anyone except for Alan Cumming. That's about it. Huh. <laughs> He's yeah. like the, the only one at the time that I knew of. Um, yeah. So yeah, coming out for me was very big on um, just visibility, like feeling like I'm at the top of my game in fashion. I'm owning Nylon Magazine. I'm running Socialite. I'm doing so much in this industry. I should be public and, and proud about whatever my sexuality was. And yeah, and doing that, then came the concept of there should be a space for us <laughs> yeah. and there should be a space where we could feel comfortable and this can be explored and enjoyed and we can learn about sex and, and you know, appreciate it for what it is. Agree. Agree. I'm curious, like when you, so there, if you knew from an early age and you were exploring these things, especially in other cities, but not identifying as bisexual, I'm curious, like how, what, like what was in your mind in those years? And also like, do, did you see in other countries or in the fashion industry, like, did you see sexual fluidity, but people wouldn't address it or call it something and identify as straight? Or did you not see sexual fluidity and you wanted to see it? Was it very segregated? I mean, I think it was very segregated. And I think in a lot of ways, it's still very segregated. Um, you know, when you're in gay spaces, there's a certain um, idea around consent. There's certain ideas around how people interact within those spaces. Um, there's certain, you know, protections to keep certain people out of those spaces. And being bisexual and attracted to women, you know, you don't necessarily feel 100%, you know, welcome or 100% accepted. It wouldn't be a space that you'd bring a girlfriend or anything else like that. So I think there was a little bit of that element. And then going to more of the straight spaces, just the rigidity of how they focus on heteronormativity and you know just being hetero um, and anything outside of women playing with women it was really really not allowed and would just give you get you bad looks or make people mm. uncomfortable and i just felt like there was too many spaces where i myself didn't feel 100 percent comfortable and i really wanted to figure out you know how do we how do we change that because there's definitely a lot more men like me there's a lot of women like who are bisexual as well and it just wasn't that. So I really just set yeah. out to create a space that that could be allowed. And that sexual exploration was like the key. Um, and then eventually, you know, you let the allies in and <laughs> the straight straights and the gay gays, they're allowed to come to you. <laughs> everyone's, cool. on, everyone's somewhere on the spectrum of comfort and level of comfort. But I think it's a lot about just teaching people to be comfortable with other people's sexuality and, and you know, how they choose to explore. Yeah. Start with the buys and then let everyone in. That's a good <laughs> motto. Um, I do think it is like, I want to talk more about this, like getting comfortable in spaces like this and how to do that. But I also want to talk about that consent thing you said, because I mean, I've experienced everything you're talking about too, like both segregated types of parties. And I've been trying to go to more like straight-ish parties because the gay parties are really easy to find. <laughs> the other, the a good like, uh, mixed gender party is harder to find. And uh, I have been to some where like, yeah, they say it's queer friendly, but you get there and the only queer thing happening is some women hooking up with each other. And there's no yeah. no male sexual fluidity and very little gender fluidity uh, in, in some of them. And so I had I didn't have a great time at an event like that. And I thought like, what's wrong with me? But actually, I think it's the space that just didn't sort of let me be myself and express myself. Um, yeah. And I think it's definitely, you know, uh, people want to be inclusive. People, you know, are very big on the idea of like, okay, we have full inclusivity and, you know, all this is going to be okay and all this is allowed. But then when you get there, you realize it's really specifically for straight people and like there's yeah. some comfort, but the comfort level isn't fully there. Um so I think it's, you know, it's important to embrace that there's different types of sexualities, but unless you're building it from the start as like, this is what we're aiming for and this is what we're trying to do, it's very, very hard to create what we were able to create here um, and to do it consistently. Like, it's just too difficult. Okay, let's talk about that consent thing, because like a gay sex party is has totally different norms than... Uh, you know, something like fluid at NSFW. 
Uh, and I, you know, not, I don't know if that's by design or just the way it is, or like, do you want to talk about like how, what you've seen and what the difference is? I've talked about it a little before. I mean, there's well, very little talking sometimes at a gay sex party. It's all nonverbal consent in quotes. Yeah, no, you have to definitely use your nose uh, in gay spaces yeah. sometimes. Um, and I think there's certain gay spaces that have been better at it. Like I love the Inferno parties. I like what Pig House is doing. There's definitely groups mm-hmm. that are trying to incorporate more of that consent culture into it. And I think as you know, younger gays are entering into these spaces, there is that conversation around consent. There is that conversation around um, you know, we, body autonomy. And I think that's like the, we're, it's really the first generation. Gen Z is the first generation really coming into the spaces with that already or an idea of that. So I think gay spaces are evolving slowly and, and there's definitely ones that are doing very well. Um, but for the most part, yeah, you're nonverbal and like a lot of the consent is based off of like, is this person going to tell me to stop or tell me to not do this? And that can create a lot of gray areas. And for men, that's great. And a lot of men are comfortable with that form of like blanket consent when they enter the spaces and they assume the risk of that and they go in ready for it and excited for it and about it. I think when you mix women into any equation, um, there's going to be different rules that apply and different um, safety measures that have to be taken. Um, we can't have that type of behavior happening in space where it's mixed gender. Can't have that type of behavior happening in space where trans people are, non-binary people are, because that type of behavior just doesn't work. We need to have the conversations, we need to teach about consent, and we need to make sure that consent is part of everything that we do. So from you know applying for membership, to buying a pass, to walking into the door, to the nymphs and the guardians and the people who are in the spaces, like you're constantly cultivating this consent culture and then having a method of handling things afterwards when there's a conflict, when someone's upset or when something happens, you know, how do you handle that and how do you take care of the people in those situations? But a lot of that is like because of women and it's because of how us as a society have placed women in this place of, you know, the slut or the, the, you know, or the, the mother Mary, you know, it's like, they're really, uh, we don't, society doesn't give too many other definitions in terms of that. And there's not enough protections and, I think for a lot of women, that thought of being able to be sexually free in a space is rare. You know, there's a, there, there's that fear, unless it's all women's space, like it's very, very rare. So yeah, it's a big part of it. But I think it's something that, you know, the um, approach to sex and the approach to stigma around sex and the approach to shame around sex is why, you know, we need so many more rules than if we, you know, we're just hosting a gay party and <laughs> it's like yeah. come in hooded, no names, anonymous and... Right. Find a hole, find a (laughs) hole and go for it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so when I started going to gay parties, I really had to figure out how to navigate that. And as you said, use my nose and like say no. Like if I, if someone's doing something and you don't want them, it's kind of a, you have to give the negative consent, the, the lack of consent and say no. And eventually I learned how to do that. But at the beginning, I was, I was in some gray areas and some awkward situations. Okay. So it's good. But then like, there's also something when I'm comfortable now, that's, that's easy about not having to have much interaction. If I lock eyes with someone and you go talk to someone, you just go. So I guess my, my question is like, what do you say to like people who don't have experience with your parties, or maybe they do have experience in a gay space who are nervous about the talking part and like think maybe it's unsexy or they might be rejected. Like how do you get over those anxieties? Well, I think a lot of it is about space design. A lot of it is about um, organizational planning around the events and how we teach people ahead of time. Um, But if you look at gay spaces, uh, you know, you're going to have a bar, you're going to have a dark room, you know, there's uh, usually loud music, so you can't really converse, uh, you know, properly and talk without yelling. Um, and the dark room provides, you know, a lot of anonymity, which is what people look for in some of those spaces. Um, when you come to a space like NSFW, it's well lit. Music's kept at a certain volume so people can have conversations. And we create ways for people to interact before um, coming into any of the play spaces. So there might be a host who's playing games with people ahead of time and kind of taking people to introducing and meeting people. Um, if a member wants, they can um, kind of rent a muse and have someone who comes with them and acts as a buddy for them to talk to other people and like connect them to members that they know and and usually someone who's been part of the community for a while. So it's super comfortable for them to like get to know people. But I think is the thing for here and like what might be different from other you know play parties or play spaces is like we are really focused on being a club where sex can happen, you know, not so much a sex club. 
you know, the uh-huh. option for sex is there. But I would say probably like, you know, 30 to 40% of members are here and come for sex. The other, you know, 60 to 70% are here to mingle, connect, interact, possibly take someone home. And it's a little bit more about having that kind of club experience, but it being designed for conversations, it being designed for connections, and it being focused on consent, which is very important. Yeah, cool. I, I One of my later questions was sort of, I know the answer, but it was like, do you have to have sex at a sex party? And like, I know I, you know, I used to think that's it what is it required. is. And if you didn't, you <laughs> If you, you haven't had sex by midnight, party. we are tying you down <laughs> and it is happening. No. <laughs> well, that, that I might like, <laughs> but. Uh, well, I think, look, you, you have to consider like how we host things and how other groups host things. A lot of people are hosting things once a month. Mm-hmm. Once a month is a high amount of pressure for you to go to that event and definitely get laid. Like I'm going to spend a good amount of money. It's mm-hmm. only going to happen this month or maybe it's once a quarter or maybe it's not that often or the guest list is too small so you won't get in. It sells out. And mm-hmm. it's like then you have this added pressure of like, oh, I need to play tonight. I need to make sure I'm like going there and ready to like do something. And I think that's really you know difficult for people who are new into the space and they're trying to figure things out and they're not sure if a sex party is right for them. This space is different. It's like we're hosting things four times a week. That's always open. We're always available. So it changes. You know, the pressure decreases. And I think for people to have really, really good connected sex and sex that is meaningful to them, it has to be no pressure. You know, and so we try to create those elements to allow for that no pressure environment. So someone can come here, has never been to a sex club. We've had people who are virgins who are coming here for the first time, like never had sex. And they're just here and they're like trying to understand, you know, like how this all happens and they take their time. You know, there's really no rush. It's always going to be available. Cool. You've kind of described the scene I'm encountering in LA now, which is like fewer, fewer parties, less often, more expensive, smaller guest lists. And so there is, there did feel like a lot of pressure. Um, and yeah, it's but, like, I just dropped $200. I better have yeah, sex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Um, and I, and you know, I've been to NSFW due to the pandemic and moving to LA. I haven't been as often lately, but I've been like five or six times and only had sex like maybe two or three of those times. And some of the times I didn't have sex were like so much fun, even more fun than some of the times I did have sex. Like I think there was a game night pre pandemic that was really fun and sexy, even though it wasn't necessarily hardcore sex. And like uh, some, uh, another one recently, I went to a fluid that I just met some lovely people and like drank and chatted and watched other people do things. And it was fun. Yeah. I think that's an experience for a lot of people. There's like, I don't know. I think there's like the interpretation of going to a sex party and we've been very good at, you know, branding ourselves and marketing ourselves and getting press and getting attention. So there is this like image of it, but we get a lot of members who will like join and it'll be like a year, two years, three years. And then finally they come to something. They're like, I've worked up enough courage to come. And then they get here. They're like, Oh, this is great. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but there is that fear. The fear and stigma yeah. is still very much there for people in spaces like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How? What do you say to people who are ner- too nervous to come at all, even though they might think intellectually they would like it? I don't know. We offer them panties and underwear that they can lock up. So, you know, <laughs> you can hide the keys somewhere. You're going to be fine. Um, I, I don't know. know. I think it's, it's <laughs> I think for a lot of people, you have a lot of people who don't really enjoy sex because they haven't had great sexual experiences. People who have had, you know, negative relationships or have mm-hmm. been in abusive relationships or have had, you know, early trauma, traumatic experiences in their childhood, which impact their view of sex and impact their their ideas around it. So a lot of people, it's more around working through those own personal weights that they have and that kind of weight of shame and that weight of feeling of uh, not being wanted or, or being rejected. And it's like working getting people comfortable enough to like release that and kind of this being the way to release that, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, you've made it here. Now you're kind of ready onto the sexual journey. Now you're ready to meet more people and connect to people who are more open-minded and interested in kink or Tantra or anything else you're looking to explore. But like, that's the first step. So I think for people who are scared, it's really just training them around the idea of like, just come, you know, like you don't have to do anything. You don't have to interact and, and be a part of, you know, anything that's happening that you don't want to be a part of. But at least you can watch and you can see. And I think from that watch and see is where people get kind of their most education around what we're trying to teach um, and gets them excited about it and wants to be involved in that and want to try those things. So, yeah, it's more about just, you know, 
ignoring that feeling in your mind that one, it's shameful, two, it's you know dangerous, or you, you're going to have to interact, and three, that you're going to be like forced to do anything you don't want to do. And I think once you remove those three, people come and they love coming and they'll continue to come and come and come and come and come. literally yeah uh cool i i do think it it is like you kind of have to practice getting comfortable in in a space like that and and yeah you can do it in a low pressure way and not have to jump in the water right away and we also have like send noobs which we do once a month or sometimes twice a week depending on the season but that's a good event as well where people can like come and you know it's not a play party it's really just about understanding what the community is about and understanding our code of conduct and how to like report things and how to like be watchful over the community and giving people mm-hmm. kind of that, I don't know, that responsibility, you know, of letting them know, like, this is your space. Like we are mm-hmm. sharing this, this is our shared space. Like this is all for us. So like contribute and be a part of that and keep us safe and and keep working towards that. And I think people come to send noobs and then right away they're like, okay, I'm ready for play day. I'm ready to go. And like, they get a feel for it. And I think that's important too. You need to have those like introductory events and like yeah. just have that there as an opportunity for people who are just unsure. Cool. I love smoothies. This is true. I really love a smoothie with some peanut butter in it, maybe some banana, maybe a little chocolate, some oat milk, maybe even spinach. That's my favorite one. But they're pretty expensive at the smoothie place. And at home, you know, the big bulky blender, it's just like too much to use and clean to just make one smoothie. That's why I was excited recently to try the Blendjet 2. Blendjet 2 is portable so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita right on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. The Blendjet 2 is also whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. And it lasts for 15 or more blends and recharges quickly with USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. It also comes in over 30 color options. I chose kind of an aqua blue one. I'm pretty basic, but there's lots of cool choices. There was some camo. There were some bi-color marble ones, like blue, pink, purple things. Get a bisexual blender. Why not? What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use promo code 2BYGUYS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Just a reminder that as of now, we are still trying to book spots for our Buy Plus trip to Maine in June of 2023. If you are interested, you can find it in our link tree or in the show notes, links to the Trova trip. I will be hosting a trip to coastal Maine with other Buy people. We've got a bunch of people signed up already, but we don't have enough to make the trip happen. So if you're interested in it, thinking about it, can afford it, I would love for more people to sign up so we can do this and keep it going in the future. I apologize that this will not be for everyone, and I understand that not everyone will be able to do this. If you are interested in the idea but just can't come to the main trip in June, please DM me and let me know and tell me what you might like to see. They also have some more like hiking-based trips out west that would be cheaper and would be like we're camping in tents. Maybe we should try one of those if that would be more interesting. Maybe June is just a difficult time. Maybe we want to go to Bali or somewhere even further away. Let me know if you're interested, because in theory, I like this idea of going on these buy trips. But, you know, if we can't sell them out, we can't sell them out. It's okay. It was worth a shot. But the main trip sounds awesome. The itinerary is online already. If you're interested, check it out. And we need a few more people to sign up in order to go. In general, I just want to say I appreciate you all and thank you for putting up with a lot of these ads we've been putting in the episodes. I know we didn't used to do that at the beginning, and we have been a lot this year. This is really just helping me sustain this podcast so that I am not losing money on it. I do want to keep this podcast going, and I want to continue to shine a light on the bi community. It does take a lot of work. It is a lot of hours for me. 
And so I am trying to find ways to support myself and keep doing this work. So I appreciate you sticking with us and sticking through these ads. So thanks for listening to this. Thanks for listening to this episode. And now back to more with Daniel Saint. So tell us a little about how like sexual fluidity is baked into the culture there and like what's the spectrum of different events you have because like I know there's fluid nights but it's not just that there's you know I I could answer but I'll let you what's the (laughs) what's the range of events and like what kind of crowds do you get at each of them so we have uh, play dates that happen every single Saturday, which are more all play. Um, I would say in terms of the membership, we look at it, it's about 83% that falls within what we call the bi plus category. And bi plus includes heteroflexible, homoflexible, um, fluid, um, you know, trans, non-binary, like just a lot of different things that fall within the bisexual umbrella, pansexual, demisexual, all those things. So amongst the membership, we're, it's usually around like 80% kind of fall within that category. So it, it kind of builds that base. We already know that that's going to be a, a portion of it. Um, a big part of our code of conduct is around, you know, not yucking on anyone's yum. Um, if someone finds something enjoyable, it's not your job to feel uncomfortable with that. And I think that's very important, especially for heterosexual males to like understand like, hey, you're coming into space where this stuff is allowed. So your behavior towards that stuff is important as well. And, you know, as an ally, as someone who's supporting, you know, this community, like, accept that and understand that and, you know, be respectful of that. And I think having that in the language of what you have to agree to before you join, having that in language of, you know, how we talk to people at the door, having that um, ingrained within, you know, myself, the membership, a lot of the people who are involved with NSFW who are bisexual or who are, you know, open um, helps, you know, and it helps reduce that friction between people who are straight, straight and that friction between people who are gay, gay. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think on that spectrum, you know, that's where we fall. You know, so as long as those groups are respectful of our, you know, way of, of being and in connecting, that's great. For the events side, um, we have all play events. We have couples only, which has a little bit of fluidity to it. We have fluid, which is uh, just, you know, gender fluid, uh, bisexual like party that's focused on that. We also do all male parties and all female parties. All female parties we're currently working on for January. We're bringing those back. Um, we've done a couple things that are like coven based and witchcrafty based as well as just, you know, femme and celebration of femininity, um, type cool. events. Then we have frat, um, and then partner events. So we work with mask lab, which does a lot of recordings, uh, within the gay and bisexual community of like porn and adult stuff. A lot of adult stars who come through, who are members who are part of that party. And that's an all male party. Uh, and now we're hosting a monthly pig house, which is like another all male party that we have here once a month. And. It's kind of how we provide for the community and making sure that we have events that can be just masculine spaces or all male spaces that can be all female or all feminine spaces. Um, and then can also be in the middle and fluid and, and kind of present that as well. Um, it's about options here. So like we just try to continuously have a calendar that reflects what the members want to find and do and, and just try keep doing that. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, I've had fun at a number of different types of events, Ben, but actually like, I think one of the first things I ever came to besides Ascent Noobs was a frat. It was pre-pandemic uh-huh. and it was quite fun. I had like a lot more fun than I expected to the role play of it. I liked, can you tell us like, why did you choose that theme for your male events? And like, you've kept it going so clearly it's popular like why do you think that theme resonates with like bi men or gay men or whoever i think like that event was really specifically designed for bisexual men men who are first exploring or first trying things um and we wanted to make it into something where they could be guided right you know when we talk about consent we obviously do a lot of work with doms and dominatrixes. So what we do for that event is that we have a pledge master, someone who comes in who's kind of like the dom for the party. And everyone who attends is a pledge or it can be like one of the masters. And they go through and, you know, pair people off. And there's, you know, aspects of forced bisexuality, aspects of doing things and being told to do things, aspects of, you know, femininity and, and playing with that and playing with those roles. And I think that works for people because like there's always been a desire for that. I think a lot of members have been in fraternities in the past and there's elements of, you know, homoeroticism that comes from that, that they've never been able to explore and been able to, you know, openly enjoy. So I think that element's there. I think there's, you know, a lot of uh, gay men who might be, you know, more 
more femme who want to explore that and want to explore being in control of someone and being the dominant and, and play with that role or, you know, taking on a more submissive role and being that role as well. So like, I think there's a desire there, you know, like the reason that event has been successful in the past is like people want to play with those dynamics in a safe way. Um, and this event allows for that. So that was really designed yeah. for like men who are afraid to do things with men, but wouldn't be afraid if they were to. told to. <laughs> yeah, want to, but need yeah. someone to tell them to. Right. And it to be a little bit forced to like allow allow for that exploration. Right. Consensually forced. Um, as a yeah. sub top, I, I appreciated that. But uh, I, and also like, I mean, that I, I wasn't in a frat, but I always imagined that kind of stuff. I think it was before I realized I was bi and I like had those fantasies without really thinking about what it meant or addressing it. And there was a lot of porn when I was like in college and after that was like frat hazing porn. Yeah, that they have I like frat into. X porn. That's really popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. think it's Where super it's popular like with bi men. Really dirty ass dorm rooms. And <laughs> it's like, I, put away the pizza boxes. Like, go. Oh, all right, just go for it. I I used to believe it was all real and it was shot in colleges. And then I then I kind of realized that like porn sets can mimic a college dorm room pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, they can figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask about like, cause I'm still figuring this out and navigating it. I never really went to play parties as a straight person, but like there's, there's the swinger culture and there's that kind of swinging community, which seems to be like couples of usually man and a woman who, you know, play usually together and swap partners and stuff like that. But, uh, and, and I've even seen some, like play when in group play that same sex, but, but it's still pretty heteronormative in a certain way. Like they, a lot of those people won't talk about being bisexual or we're definitely like identify as straight or mostly straight. I, is that, is that different or like, how does that differ from what you guys are trying to create? And there must be some straight swinger couples who come to NSFW, but like, oh, yeah. how does it differ for them from other parties or like, what's the difference in the culture? Yeah. I mean, I think swinger culture, you know, definitely still exists. It has evolved over the years. I think when we first started, you know, probably eight years ago, you know, there was still big swinger parties and big swinger culture and kind of like stories coming out of those. And I was going to some of those spaces as well and just experiencing you know, the parties where you have to bring a female partner. And this is like what it is when you get there. I'd say like mm-hmm. within swinger cu- culture and community, there seems to be more swapping, obviously less bisexuality amongst the men, less play amongst the men and kind of like strict rules, whether it's a soft swap or a hard swap with other partners and, and what they're allowed to do. A lot of it seems to be like, you know, I'm into your girl, you're into my girl. And a lot of conversations that might happen are usually between the men within those spaces. Um, I think here, because there is, you know, a, a higher amount of single people and there's a higher likelihood of threesomes that are MMF or FMM, the women have a lot more say in terms of like how they interact. So when we find couples coming here or people who are familiar with swinger culture, it feels more like there's a mutual decision on certain things. Um, versus how it can be in some of those parties where it seems a little bit more the men are kind of having conversations and like then we're playing. Um, so I think the agency of who makes the decisions changes a little bit in spaces like this. Uh, and the option of, you know, let's have a threesome, but it's not with another girl uh, becomes an option in a space like this, which I think a lot of people are looking for and they don't necessarily find within swinger spaces. Uh-huh. Cool. I've also seen at some parties, uh, I, I won't say which ones, but like people who are n- not transphobic, like trans friendly, but also it's a new thing for them and they're not used to it. And there's like this hesitation and, and, you know, these spaces don't tend to have a ton of trans people. Uh, like how, how do you guys encourage gender fluidity and trans identities? And like, how do you address that kind of culture and, and sort of help normalize that i mean i think for for this space when we're talking about non-binary and trans individuals a lot of it is more about outreach and trying to make sure that they feel comfortable to join i feel like for a lot of trans individuals it's like they only will go to spaces that are clearly defined as like this is a space for trans people we have a good amount of trans and non-binary within our membership it's about you know five percent when we uh, look at the numbers of it so there are the members there 
and they come here, they enjoy, they are able to enjoy the party. There's definitely people who find, you know, are attracted to them and want to be engaged with them. And it doesn't feel as much as like a novelty, which I think is how it plays out in some other spaces, especially mm-hmm. if someone's like the only non-binary, the only trans person yeah. within a space. For us, it's like finding the events that make sense, but also aligning with organizations that are doing stuff for trans rights. So we work with a lot of charitable groups that you know are specifically focused on that. We host their events here. We do things for them. We make sure that trans identities are included within like our performances and our muses. And we try to bring in more of that community in. But unless you're actively like outreaching and trying to represent that group or bring that group in or make them feel included, they're not going to appear. They're not going to show up to these spaces. So there's a lot of spaces where, like, yeah, we are trans friendly, but it's one trans person and that person feels like the odd individual out, you know, and that's not exactly how you create, you know, fluidity yeah. within a space. And it's not how you accept that. You have to, you know, outreach, create programs. Like we offer free memberships. Like there's a lot of things that we do to make sure that that community feels comfortable within the spaces. And I don't think, I don't think most spaces have that kind of, goal as much as we like really make it a goal like hey (laughs) we need more of this representation we need more of this let's outreach let's get on podcasts let's do stuff let's get media let's outreach to the people who are influencers within that space let's encourage them to come here let's like make sure that community feels welcome here and more importantly make sure the rest of the community understands like this this is what this space is for like we want this diversity in in genders we want this diversity in in people um, more importantly than anything else we do, we want that variety. Um, it shouldn't feel like one group dominates within the space. And we really do work on that. Cool. Also, okay, last question about NSFW. I also like one of those times I mentioned that I had so much fun without having sex was like, I think it was a little more geared toward kink play. And there was like somebody being tied up and there was somebody on a cross getting flogged. And like you were eating someone's ass who identified as a straight guy. Like, <laughs> You know, just lots of people were trying lots of new things. And we're I just, we I thought things. it was so cool. I was in a straight man's ass. What am I yeah. doing? That's so I remember I was talking to this straight man and he was telling me he was straight and he was like, he was like tickling my <laughs> arm and telling me he does what this is what I do with women. And I was like, cool, that's cool. You're straight. And then like a half hour later, I saw you eating. Just me, <laughs> me right in there. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I guess that falls into the heteroflexible category. Just trying to, um, trying to, trying to, you know, remove toxic masculinity in the best way I know how. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But my question is like, what's, um, what's the difference between like a more kink oriented party and a play party? Is, is there a difference or like what's, What's the feel like at those kind of things? What do you get to explore there? I think when you start opening up the areas of sex that you can explore, especially when you get into kink or BDSM and other you know, areas like that, there is more fluidity within those spaces. There is more acceptance for you know different ways in which you might want to explore your kinks and might want to explore fetishes. So I think there is more of that kind of gender fluidity and, and general um, sexual identity fluidity that comes from those spaces and come from the events that we host that focus on that. So I think that's a big part of it for us too, where we are hosting events that are specifically focused on kink. It's like, we're opening up a new audience, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. and when it comes to sex and where people are in terms of how they're trying to explore it, like we always consider like the kinksters as like kind of that next level, the advanced level of people. Um, So it brings in a lot more people who are just familiar with the lifestyle, more comfortable with it. And again, makes everything comfortable for everyone else. Cool. I like those events. You should do more of those. And it's weird. It's like, in a sense, it is like next level. But for some reason, I actually feel even more comfortable at a party like that. Maybe because I'm just very kinky and queer. But like, I don't know if somehow there feels like less performance anxiety for me at something like that, because it's like, there's you kind of know what you're doing or what you're watching other people do. It's kind of more defined. 100%. Yeah. Let's transition. Let's talk a little about the firm tech, which uh, if you all haven't seen, I did a couple of social media posts. Uh, it's this ring. There it is. You you put it on your dick. I got we it. can say we can say dick on here, even though I, Are we allowed I to had say to dick? blur it oh out God. on on social media. I mean, they'll bleep it. I haven't if said I put dick for three years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so you're a brand ambassador for the firm tech. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little like how you got involved and 
I, I've explained it on social media, but yeah, you've definitely talked what, about it. What before. is it? How does it work? I mean, FirmTech is this new company that's working on wearable technology for men. It's really just a way for you to, in essence, track your penile health. And as someone who uses this penis very often, it's very important for me to track my penile health. Um, and what it does, it's just like an app-enabled uh, uh, wearable. Uh, this is the ring. Uh, it snaps on really easy. They have their own design around it. And unlike <laughs> you have your sex, <laughs> unlike should we try it um, on traditional together? cock rings? I know. Let's put it on and set it up. Um, unlike traditional cock rings, like it just breaks open. So it's really easy to put on and off. Uh, and it's also one of the only cock rings that you can wear at night. So what you do is like you sync it up, you put it on and then you get results. Like I actually just pulled results from like last night and it just gives you like nice little stats on how well your penis is performing throughout the night and lets you know how many nightly erections you have. It gives you a firmness score. So you know how firm your penis is at night. And also it lets you see if you, any medications you're taking might be affecting your penile strength, um, if alcohol or maybe diet is affecting you as well. Mm. Um, I think right now there's been this massive trend of getting young men, especially people in their 20s and 30s, onto Viagra, onto you know lots of pills, Cialis. It's just become so regular for people to just take medication for erections. Um, a lot of times people are mixing it with drugs, which is extremely dangerous. I've definitely heard within you know spaces of sex positive spaces like overdoses happening from people taking Viagra and also doing cocaine and mm. and just really, really dangerous things occurring. And I think this over-medication of American men has just gone on for so long, you know, outside of, you know, antidepressants and, you know, uh, ADHD medicines and other things which cause problems with your penis already and cause issues with erection. Like having men starting in their 20s getting on Viagra, which is a pill designed for people in their 60s, very, very bad trend. And it's something that we want to prevent. So this is kind of a preventative measure. It's a way to prevent erectile dysfunction by knowing how well your penis is performing. The data on here can be shared with urologists. It's been like, you know, kind of set and and, and um, reviewed by a number of them and reviewed by a lot of doctors. Um, and yeah, I just like think it's better to encourage people to not take medications to, to make mm -hmm. sure their penis works, which is a normal function thing that your penis should work through your 20s and 30s. Um, and maybe just uh -huh. find out, you know, how well you're doing in general. So it's a yeah. health tool. Um, and I think it's really great. And cool. Yeah, I like it. It's good. I had no idea that my penis was performing at all at night. I, I have to yeah. track this and find <laughs> out. Uh, and yeah, I, ha I have seen a lot of this, the medication. And like, I also wonder if that's related to sexuality and exploration, because it was for me. Like, I remember right before I came out, I was having a lot of performance anxiety, especially with women. And I and I thought I needed medication. And I even tried it like once or twice. And it did honestly, it didn't even work. Like it it can't really get you hard when there's so yeah. much complicated stuff going on in your head. And then I then what happened was I explored with men, I came out. And then I was fine with women again. Like it was really uh, in, it was really a mental thing. Yeah, um, and I, exactly. but I guess what, so there's that. And also what people don't really know is like, I never knew what a cock ring was and what it did and that it actually can help your performance in the moment too. Can you talk about all yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can definitely work. I mean, I, what's interesting is like the majority of people who buy cock rings are gay men. 90% right. of all purchases are being done by gay men. And right. they use it for performance. They're having sex on a more regular basis. They want to make sure they're hard. They want to make sure that they're ready to go. So the majority of the audience for the products of cock rings has been gay men. Straight men don't know. <laughs> like straight men, the only thing yeah. they're marketed is pills. So like all you're marketed is right. like take hymns, take this, like sign up for it's this. Not it's, so it's, it's, it's not part of straight culture at all. And I feel like if you take one out with a woman, she's going to be a little confused. Like what is that for? Yeah. yeah. And I think like that's where there is some education that needs to happen. There's a massive mm -hmm. market of men who are being over-medicated and given pills as like the only solution. And there's better solutions that have been around for a while. I think this one's great because it's just something that you can also – track on the tech side and that's really interesting for a lot of straight men to just know like where you stand versus others we have this big competition that we're truly introducing in the new year we're doing it with uh potentially lioness which tracks like women's orgasms with a similar type of uh device um and we want to see like who's the most orgasmic <laughs> in america uh yeah. really just tracking different people and seeing how they're performing but um <laughs> it gives us a ranking so we can literally find like Who's having the most orgasms? Who's like having the, you know, the firmest cock? Who's like getting all wow. these like stats and scores and hopefully encourage people to pay attention to their penile health. Um, 
a good dick is, you know, a key to a good life. If like you, <laughs> if you honestly, like any uh-huh. uh, with diabetes, with cancers, with certain things like penile health is what tracks it first. It's actually the first indicator. Um, huh. If your penis isn't doing well, it's usually an indicator of something else in your body. So hmm. I think those conversations are something that men need to have and not just go straight to medicating, um, you know, to function properly. It really just takes a little bit of pressure and something like this. Wow. I really love games. If you turn this into like a game or a contest and we want to do a yearly thing, people it's like to have the, the most yearly... sex, I will be participating and having And honestly, I want to meet the man with the firmest dick in America. I'd like to know that person. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good like luck. that's a good connect. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I like this one because it, it, of the easy on, easy off. I, I sometimes get scared of the firm ones that, uh, that are closed and I'm like too scared to put them on. <laughs> Well, I, I think one thing rational. that people have to keep in mind is like the titanium ones, those cock rings that are fully metal titanium, which they uh-huh. sell a lot of them. Yeah. Medical professionals do not have the tools to remove that from your penis if it gets stuck on, which means you have to bring in the fire department. So just <laughs> keep in mind, if you're using one of those tools and you cannot get it off, like you go to the doctors, like they can't take it off for you either. They're bringing oh, in the God. fire department, the jaws of life to get that thing off. And I think yeah (laughs) okay so then (laughs) i thought you were going to talk me down from that anxiety but i guess it's appropriate anxiety and i'm it's appropriate anxiety and i should be scared of them there's a few like i think uh Uh, yeah people's interaction with sex toys is a so a medical category and it really just has to be like there's there used to be a show it's like i went to the hospital from sex or like sex hospital it's like all these really awful sex related reasons people have to go to the er (laughs) oh god that's crazy yeah okay well i won't i i have one of those and i've never put it on because i'm just too scared (laughs) i want to ask you about one other topic before we end which is my other favorite love cannabis uh and so cannabis is kind of part of the nsfw culture and it's been part of your professional career can can you talk about like did it also play a role in your buy journey like I, for me I feel like weed opens me up to different ways of thinking in a in a queer way um, like yeah. how did it affect you on your journey and how's it part of your work and and NSFW? Well, I think you know plant based medicines as a whole are definitely an important portion of you know what we see NSFW going and and focusing on. We just started a collaboration. We have our own cannabis line coming out soon, which will be um, mixed forms of cannabis with Damiana, with lavender, with cacao, um, and producing different elements, whether it's you know being more comfortable to talk to people, um, having more sexual libido and, and being more excited about sex or aftercare and recovery and, and kind of going through that. So cannabis as a whole is like just a very, very sexual plant. Like I feel, um, it's always been part of NSFW from the very beginning of being open for cannabis smoking. I think in my own personal journey, yeah, I would say like cannabis definitely had a play in making me more comfortable in sexual situations and, and making me be more open to things, uh, that I wanted to try or do. And I think that's the same for a lot of people. Like not everyone gets that effect from cannabis. There's definitely certain people who don't interact with it well, but for those who do, um, finding the right strains, finding the ones that, you know, make you more comfortable in sexual situations is very key. And there's a lot of them that are known for that um, based off of, you know, the terpenes they have, based off the THC levels, based off their CBD levels. So there's a lot of benefits to that. Um, and we've seen a huge market of like cannabis uh, infused products for lube, uh, cannabis suppositories mm-hmm. from companies like Foria, um, really doing great work in like bringing cannabis into sex. But yeah, it's always been a massive component of the space. Like it just brings people together in a very specific way. And I think it's a very tribal, very spiritual way. And I think it's important to have that as, I don't know, like kind of like holy sacrament, really. Uh huh. Yeah. It's definitely helped me sort of feel at home when I'm there, like, because I can just take the vape out or a joint. Like, I know that a lot of play parties, don't encourage certain drugs or or specifically say no drugs because you want to keep people under control and in a and safe with each other in a group space like that but are there certain drugs besides cannabis that are sort of like enhancing sex and others that you wouldn't recommend that are dangerous 
I mean, I think everyone has to make that decision for themselves. I think when people come into sexual, you know, spaces or come to parties in general, there's going to be some level of like using drugs and, and, you know, doing that as well. We try to make sure that everyone here is never overly intoxicated or inebriated and no one here is like in a place where they can't consent or they can't make decisions. So there's a lot of like just watching over people and seeing their behaviors. Um, for me personally, I prefer cannabis for sex activities. There's not really other drugs that I enjoy as much for that. Sometimes like a really good ketamine fuck is fun and just kind of being in a, a disassociative place while you're engaging in sex can be fun. Mushrooms have been really, really good for it. Um, mm. Damiana has produced, uh, not Damiana, um, DMT has produced some very crazy sexual situations. I've definitely been to parties where mushrooms and LSD is the focus of like the evening and the week and you have someone kind of watching over you as you're like engaging sexually with stuff like that. But yeah, you can't do that in a space like this. You have to do that really in a protected space with the right people and, yeah. and kind of build on that. But mm -hmm. I don't know, sex and drugs, it definitely goes hand in hand. There's definitely, you know, people who prefer that experience. Um, and for me and for what I advise everyone is just in moderation. Like you don't want to, you know, take advantage of that stuff and you don't want to be in situations where you can't say no and you can't really consent. So it's important to be careful. Cool. So if people want to try out NSFW, I know like sometimes how you become a member changes. So can you tell us like what's going on now? A member. Yeah, <laughs> I, I always mean, have to check of... before I come, like, what do I need to get in this time? <laughs> well, we now have member cards. So we have to send you over your member card, which means you won't okay. have any issues checking in. You can get tickets and be able to come to events and stuff like that. But yeah, a lot of it is application. So there's an application process. Um, we're at about like 10, 20% acceptance rate right now for people who are coming in. Uh, we're working on our next spaces. So we're going to be opening up memberships for those spaces soon. Um, but yeah, apply, take time to put effort into your application. We allow a lot of different types of people and definitely a lot of types of, you know, sexualities and other things. So it's not so much about who you are. It's more about intention. It's more about, you know, contributions to the community and what you can provide and, and how you can be a part of this and how you're going to add to the experience. Um, we try to really focus in on like how people can contribute to making this bigger and making this better. Um, cool. So yeah, a lot of it is about that. Cool. Awesome. We will put uh, some links to in the show notes and also a uh, link to the firm tech. If you're interested in buying one of those, that's also in our link tree in our bio. Any other final thoughts or anything you want to talk about? No, we got to get to LA soon though, now that you're over there. <laughs> well, if you need help uh, with franchising out in LA, I would love to uh, help you set this up out there. I'd love to just attend if you guys get it going out there. Yeah, we are we are in those moments right now. So we're like preparing all of our licensing stuff, how our education cool. programs go out for the people hosting events. And in the new year, we're expecting to be in a lot more cities. So definitely LA for very soon. Awesome. I can't wait for this social sex revolution. LA next and then every other city, hopefully. Perfect. It's going to be good. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. It's nice to finally have you on after uh, we were we were there at the beginning at Slut Ever, and now we've come so far. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was great having uh, Thank you so much for having me on. It was really, really great. Two Bye Guys is produced and edited by me, Rob Cohen, and it was created by me and Alex Boyd. Our logo art is by Caitlin Weinman. Our music is by Ross Mincer. We are supported by the Gotham, and we are part of the Zencaster Creator Network. Use promo code Two Bye Guys to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster. Thanks for listening to Two Bye Guys. <laughs>